This is the Enter Sad Men Podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Hello again. Welcome along, one and all, to the Enter Sad Men Podcast. It's lovely, as ever, to have your company on the latest leg of our mission, um, which is to keep putting albums into the, the legendary Enter Sad Men Hall of Fame. Um, and to do this, we, and I say we, I mean me, my name's Steve, and my dearest buddies and hard rock like minds, Richard and Mark are with me as ever. Um, and the three of us, we select three albums each episode to review, to rate, and to rank um, in our league table of hard rock and heavy metal majesty uh, from the years 1970 to 1995. That was the genre's golden age. So we pop those albums, wherever the scores say, into the Hall of Fame. Well over 100 albums in it now. If you want any details, go check it out at entersadmen.co.uk and there's loads more stuff on there as well. Now that we devised loads of themes for our shows, that's what the uh, the bottom line is because we're very childish and we randomly choose a theme each and every episode with three albums which comply sometimes loosely, sometimes not, with that episode's theme. And this episode, our randomizer clocked in with technology. So technology is the theme. So we pick an album each that's got something to do with tech, either in the band name, the album name, cover art, whatever. And that's really straightforward, yeah? So, Mark, it's, it kind of wasn't that easy, was it? What did we do? What did we do? It was so hard, wasn't it? It was yeah. so hard. I mean, we could, to be honest, we could have gone really, something really easy, couldn't we? We could have gone for Tesla's The Great Radio Controversy and passing me wishes we had. <laughs> um, but no, we, we thought, well, no, let's just be a bit more inventive than that. But Christ, that was difficult. Richard, wasn't it? You, we, we were all struggling. I had an obvious one, which was Power Windows by Rush. But I thought, no, I can't have another one from them just yet. So then it became hard. My obvious one, of course, was um, Blow Up Your Video by ACDC. But I, I just kind of backed off it. I don't know why I did back off it, but I did back off it. I don't know. It was just a struggle, wasn't it? Uh, so go on, Mark, talk us through your process, Mark, and who you wound up with. I spent an hour and a half going through just putting random fucking words into Google, <laughs> you know, followed by hard rock albums, hard rock bands. I went through endless bloody lists. I got to one, I just thought, you know what? That, I think, is a little underrated gem. Motorhead's Orgasmatron from 1986 is what I landed on in okay. the end. Um, that's fair enough. So so you're immediately thinking, right, well, that's the thrash metal element of the episode resolved. Now we can move on to some of the other stuff. Or, <laughs> <laughs> Richard, where did you go? Yeah, I, I did the same. Uh, yeah, let's find something different, find something different. In the end, I, I got out my trusty Martin Strong Encyclopedia of Heavy Metal and I leafed through it <laughs> page by page. Finally, I got to uh, to M and um, and I thought, ah, yes, I'd forgotten about them. Artist called Machine Head. Uh, and so I chose well, the only album we could have done in our 25 years, which is their debut album called Burn My Eyes from 1994. Okay. So... My heart sank slightly because I thought, shit, Motorhead and Machine Head in the same in the same episode, and I thought it's all right. Steve will rescue us with some gentle AOR or something, <laughs> yeah, something melodic. I thought he'll go for some Journey or maybe Ario Speedwagon. You remember there must be something. No, what did you go for, Steve? In the end, no. I bet you're pining for some Heat Seeker right now, aren't you? But it ain't going to happen. Um, no, for the first time, for the first time in this pod, I just threw the book out the window and I said, and I've gone for one I don't know. 
I kind of slightly know the band, but I, have I listened to it before? I'm not sure I have. I've listened to it for this week, and well, will I listen to it again? Who knows? Anyway, the um, the band is Earth Crisis, and the album is their debut album, Destroy the Machines. So they're the three albums that we're reviewing in this episode. The top 30 beckons for all three, I dare say. Well, we'll find out. So while we're mulling over what we're going to say about these three things, you might as well listen to a bit of what we've been listening to, and then uh, we'll come back and chat them through. Yeah. Yeah, good luck, everyone. I am the one for Gashmatron, the outstretched grasping hand. My image, sword and shield. So there you go, that's shaking us to the core, I dare say, and it's been shaking us to the core all week long. So to kick this episode off, we're back in 1986, and what seems quite tame in comparison to what's to come later on, um, Mild Mannered Motorhead, and uh, their seventh studio album, Orgasmatron, Mark. Opening album sleeve notes. Yes, as Richard said uh, during the week on, on our WhatsApp chat, said you know everything's relative isn't it uh the other two albums that we've been listening to make motorhead look like easy listening this week so this is motorhead's seventh album now a bit of context i guess is that i bought this when it came out in 86 uh i bought it partly because i liked motorhead and i loved the album cover so the album cover is a is kind of well it's snaggletooth in train form uh, anyone who knows the album knows exactly what that means. And if you don't know the album and you haven't seen the cover, go and Google it and all will become clear. Snaggletooth being Motorhead's mascot. Um, I quite liked bits of this album when it came out. There are two or three tracks on it that I loved then, still love now. Um, the rest of it, I couldn't really remember very well. I haven't listened to it in its entirety for a very, very long time. And I'll tell you why. The, the reason is that so this is the first album after the classic lineup of Eddie Clark, Phil Taylor and Lemmy disband. They're now a four piece with a rhythm guitar added in. So it's a, it's a completely different band all bar Lemmy. But the biggest issue for this is it borrows so heavily from what's gone before. Uh, the other issue with this, and I don't know whether you two agree with this on your listening of it, but this is all about Lemmy because all you can really hear on this album is his Rickenbacker. Um, they've got two lead guitars, but all you can really hear is the bass. So anyway, that, that's kind of the context. Um, the album, <laughs> I, 
if, if you're confused, if you're kind of a, a part-time Motorhead fan and you're slightly confused by the album cover because it doesn't bear any resemblance to an Orgasmatron, I'll tell you why that is. It's because it was originally supposed to be called Riding with the Driver and, and the train is called the Thunder Chief, uh, which is referenced in in riding with the driver, um, but they changed the, the record label changed their minds at the last time, so they wanted a different track, a different album title, and so it became Orgasmatron. But it was too late to change the album artwork, so that's that's why there's a sort of slight disconnect between the album cover and the album title. Anyway, um, let's kind of deal with some of the facts. It was released on August the 9th, 1986, eight years to the day before Machine Head released um, Burn My Eyes, which we'll be talking about next. It was uh, recorded through the early part of 1986 and released on Motorhead's own GWR label, uh, which was, I think, distributed through Bronze, if I'm not mistaken, which is their previous record label. It runs to just over 35 minutes. Produced by Bill Laswell and Jason Cassaro. It was recorded at Master Rock Studios in London. Uh, the lineup, as I say, was Lemmy on bass and lead vocals, Michael Wurzel Burston on lead guitar, Phil Wizzo Campbell on rhythm guitar, and Pete Kill on drums. It did all right in the charts. Hit number 21 over here in the UK. Did actually managed to um, make a dent in the Billboard 200 as well. Got in at 157, which, given that market, is no mean feat for an album like this. Uh, no idea how much it sold, either here or there, but probably um, doesn't really matter. It's a nine-track album, five on side one, four on side two, starting with Death Forever, which is just brilliant. Nothing on my sleeve, Ain't My Crime, Claw, and Mean Machine, and then turn the record over. And you get built for speed, running with the driver, Dr. Rock, and Orgasmatron. How did you enjoy Orgasmatron, boys? I enjoyed this album when it came out. Still listen to a few tracks in between now and then. But it's been a long time since I heard the whole album end to end. Yeah, I get what you're saying, Mark, about the stuff that borrowed. But I still think there's some fantastic tracks on this. The one problem with this, as Lemmy said at the time, was the production. Lemmy's voice comes out well on it, his bass does, but everything else just feels kind of mushy. I mean, Lemmy said that Bill was good for getting sounds, but he fucked up everything in the mix. It was a much better album when he took it to New York than when he brought it back. It was dreadful. So yeah, it's another of those albums where it would it would have been a load better had had the production been better. But that said, uh, thoroughly enjoyed listening to it again. Steve, I know you're not a massive Motorhead fan. How did you go on? It's all right. It's all right. It's um, there's a kind of sense with me that this is a band that's almost kind of running out of ideas. You name checked the three albums at the start that you know put them on the map really, and this is a long time after that. And I, I know there are a couple of half-decent albums with some half-decent tracks to come. <clears throat> I just think that the, the, the pool of, of inspiration is just sort of drying up a little bit. And if they reinvent themselves, surely they cease to be motorhead. Well, actually, they have kind of reinvented themselves, haven't they? Because there is a different feel to it. And thrash metal was moving on anyway. We're now in the mid-80s, and they, they just sound a little bit too like a dinosaur to me. I like some of the stuff on here. I do like some of the stuff on here. But it was never an album I was particularly bothered about back in the day. And going forward, I doubt it's going to be a go-to platter for me if i need something heavy and thrashy these days i'll, I'll dip into other troughs 
two or three really good tracks on this, and it's been a fun listen. Uh, uh, Motorhead will always ever be a fun listen, and, and that's certainly the case with this. Let's get on and listen to it, because um, that is what we're contractually obliged to do. Okay, so Orgasmatron kicks off with a song that would be the lead and only single from the album, Death Forever, a Norse Viking bastard of a song, which has got some absolutely cracking lyrics. And the thing that I, I really love about this song is that it's got some just some really evocative lyrics from Lemmy and he, his vocal performance on this I think is just brilliant so it gets off to a really good start but again all you can really hear is that twanging Rickenback here you don't really get the guitars and it's a real shame it's a real shame that they are so lost in the mix but you can hear Pete Gill but all you can hear is the treble although it's just a hi-hat really really tinny but I love it I love the song I think it's great yeah production on this is crap and even the mix and the drums is very very weird Lemmy's voice the one consistent thing through the entire album is they have recorded Lemmy's voice perfectly it's a really good punching riff we love to hear the guitars higher up in the mix I like it it's a good start but I think I think other tracks are, are better the lyrics are brilliant and it does have a great finish it has a typical brilliant motorhead finish to it this is what I associate with Motorhead. It's that kind of almost unmistakable Motorhead tempo, isn't it? I'm getting a little bit, you know, Chase is better than the catch groove, that kind of groove, and it just sort of yeah. chugs along and, and with Lemmy just over the top and over the top um, in, in both senses. You know, different lineup, some things don't change. And at this point, yeah, I, I remember the first time you played me this, Mark, because I, I didn't have Orgasmatron. You played with this and this was this was the track you played off this album when you know you just can pick a track to play off an album to prove whether you liked it or not. And I did like it then, and I still like it now. I think it's uh, I think it's a decent opener. Yeah, they get off to a reasonable start then, and then we come to uh, track two, which is nothing on my sleeve, which I thought originally was Ace of Spades because that is borrowed straight off the front of Ace of Spades, and you can actually sing the opening line and it fits completely. At this point, you're thinking, okay, we're we're only really two albums down now from Ace of Spades and we're already back there. Now, I like Nothing Up My Sleeve. I think it's it's a decent enough song. But again, the, the thing that you come back to on this album time and time again, song after song after song is the production. And the fact that you can't hear anything except Lemmy's voice. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think Lemmy does a fantastic job on this album, actually. You just want to hear the instruments, don't you? You want to hear it all blended and mixed. And well, it was a final mix, wasn't it? So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the production in the studio, as he said. It was uh, when uh, it was taken away and it came back worse than it went. The bass star is, is a combination of Ace of Spades and Stone Dead Forever. Yeah, this could have started the album. But then I suppose if it had started the album, everyone would have thought, oh, here's Ace of Spades again. I, I still enjoy it. I think it's a bit, for me, a better track than the opener, personally, because I just love the way it drives. Yes, it's typical Motorhead, but it just makes me smile. What you're not getting, of course, is that kind of, there was almost a bedlam to Motorhead, wasn't there, which the production gave them, managing to contrive to make something sound really messy yet really professional. That was quite a skill that Big Male must have had. This just sounds so sanitised, yeah. you know? It just you. sounds on Motorhead. I'll tell you another reason. Pete Gill... Perfectly good drummer, right? If Filthy was drumming to this, this would be twice the speed. So this is, yeah, this is Ace of Spades uh, at 45, played at 33. And that makes a difference on, on this album. So, so what you're what you're really saying is that they're already compromising. That ultimately they've had to make a, a compromise, sacrifice on their sound because the musicians aren't up to it. There aren't many that can play at uh, Taylor's speed on speed. Get are there? They're moving on to Ain't My Crime again, which is a a, a great track, but 
it, it would be faster. I was thinking it was the riff from Riff Raff, but yeah. faster. <laughs> so Ain't My Crime moves into uh, the claw. It starts off with the riff from Overkill, doesn't it? But slower, slightly slower. I mean, this is played at top speed, not as fast as Overkill. I'm not sure what I think about this song. Um, it sounds like stuff they did later on, actually. It's, it's got more in common with the sort of hammered Inferno era most of it. But yeah, it's just, it feels a bit out of place on the sound. But... This one, it, his voice is so high up in the mix. And it, I mean, it's nice to hear. I mean, he was on top form vocally. And I love the lyrics. And that, and that makes me enjoy this song. It, it, is, it is just an overkill rip-off but hey who cares I quite like it there's a lovely little run into the chorus each time which is um, which is quite dinky I think and then Lemmy just gets slightly Bon Scott at the end and he just goes a little bit too far out of control singing that chorus it's fine it's probably my weakest song on the album if I'm honest but it's it's okay and I'd agree with you there so from the weakest we go to a song that's just a bit anodyne it just doesn't really do one thing or the other for me it's Mean Machine it's alright it's, it's got lots of 1980s sort of hair metal stuff in it which is just again really strange but but just done at 100 miles an hour it's hair metal at 100 miles an hour it's really odd well this is interesting to what you were saying earlier about Pete Gill and suddenly he does start drumming at a, a decent tempo I bet he never drummed like this in the Glitter Band wasn't he in the Glitter Band or something um, I like this I think this is a lot better I think it's a lot more frantic and therefore I'm getting a lot more what I associate with Motorhead yeah it ticks boxes for me I think it's got a really nice nice sound to it yeah that doesn't surprise me yeah it is I mean this is classic fast Motorhead isn't it yeah I've written up uh, it's a hundred mile an hour three minute sprint I mean it, I get the impression Pete Gill would have been absolutely knackered after this <laughs> what I love about Phil Taylor's drumming is that there is some sophistication within the madness whereas this is just a straight ahead fast drum for me there isn't the character on this track that there is on others on the album well, of course Pete Gill would only he would only do this album Phil Taylor came back for the next one Anyway, moving on to the opening track of Side 2, which is uh, my second favourite tra- song on the album, I think, Built for Speed. This is very much back in the sort of 1980-ish motorhead. So again, I'm getting a lot of The Chase is Better Than The Catch and that sort of bouncy stuff that motorhead are so good at. This is the one track, I think, where you do get the guitars, finally, and it benefits from that, I think. Good head nodder, isn't it? This is, this is just phrased, that classic motorhead phrasing isn't it in Lemmy's verse construction chorus construction it's absolutely what you associate them with you know you can almost you can almost sing it in your head without the word you know how it's going to sound the one thing I would say about it is it's near as damn it five minutes long and it, it don't need to be it, it does its work in three and a half it really does so track one side two gives way to well what would have been the title track riding with the driver it's got sort of half-hearted half-speed overkill drum riff going on i actually think the back end of this album is better than the front end of it this is probably the weakest of the tracks on side two it just feels a little bit like a filler whereas the other three on this side don't to me it'd be fascinating to know uh, what the decision making process was in changing the album title to orgasmatron i certainly think the title track is a far better title track than this in terms of its attitude we'll, we'll come on to what we think about it later this is pretty average for a motorhead song. No, it's a bit nondescript. There's a, there's a nice little a rattling good midsection in this where it goes a bit off the rails, but it's kind of drowned in this sort of mediocrity either side of it. It's pretty average. I'm not that bothered about the next one either, to be honest. <laughs> 
Well, see, I knew you wouldn't be. The penultimate track on the album is um, Dr. Rock. And I, this kind of really caught my attention back in 86. I kind of like Motorhead when they bounce, which is why I like Death Forever. It's why I like Chase is Better Than The Catch. It's why I like No Class. But it is, it's a bit, it's a bit candy floss. It's got just that classic heavy shuffle again. I and mean, you know, it's, it's formulaic motorhead. What lifts this and puts an amazing smile on my face here is lyrics. Shut up, breathe in. Let's have the address of your next of kin. Hit up, shoulders back. You've got a body like a martial stack. I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant. <laughs> So you, you're not that bothered about it, Steve? It's all right. It's a pop song, isn't it? I've got very little to say about it. All right, so let's move it on to the final track, which is the title track, uh, and Orgasmatron. And um, I, I think in the end, Death Forever is still my favourite track, but this is fantastic. This is this is so good. So good. Cheery little number, it's, isn't it? It's how I think you'd feel if you were sitting at a bar and Lemmy turned up and sat, sat next to you. You'd feel slightly nervous. <laughs> he was not in a good mood, was he, the day he sat down and penned the lyrics to this one? These are his three big hates in life, aren't they, apparently? And he's just articulated all three. Bugger me. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's so heavy. It's so heavy and so gloomy. So kind of depending on what mood I'm in, I either find it unbelievably annoying um, and going nowhere, or I find it actually quite hypnotic and, and, a, and a little bit of a gem. It's really interesting. You can see it. You can you can take it either way. But God, it's heavy. Hypnotic is, I, I, that is absolutely perfect description for it. Hypnotically heavy because what's really clever about it is it's just that riff underneath. Yeah. So this this song do, does doesn't do really anything else and it doesn't need to. It gets the song song of the album for me. Uh, it could, and, and it is one of the classic Motorhead songs. It's up there with the stuff off of Bomber and Overkill and Ace of Spades for me. His lyrics are just unbelievable really disturbing and i'm upset with the production because with top-notch production this would have absolutely blown your mind so come on then let's have some uh, highs and lows from the two of you okay well my low is claw and i do like orgasmatron and i do like death forever but they're both pipped by mean machine which is uh, yeah i thought that might get that facial expression that doesn't surprise me um I'm one man's meat and all the rest of it Richard? My low's mean machine. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, as I've already said, my high is orgasmatron forever. Okay, so uh, so claws my low, death forever is my high. So there we go. Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, is Mosehead's orgasmatron from 1986. And so endeth the easy listening portion <laughs> of the show, uh, because we are now moving on eight years to the day after Orgasmatron was released to Machine Head and their 1994 album, Burn My Eyes. Richard, this was a strange choice. I wasn't expecting this from you, I have to say. Opening album sleeve notes. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it either, but I gave it a listen. I thought, I you know, this is... This is interesting. This is uh, kind of Pantera, kind of Metallica, as I remember. Uh, I never got into them much at the time. After giving it a couple of listens, I thought, oh, actually, this is this is all right. This is okay. So I, I plumped for it. Machine Head. So a bit of background. They were formed in 1991 in Oakland by uh, Rob Flynn and Adam Juice. Rob Flynn was in a previous band called Violence, which he left after they had a big fight. 
<laughs> anyway, so they yeah, they sort of, they formed in nineteen eighty one, recorded a demo in around ninety two, and eventually were signed to uh, Roadrunner Records in ninety three. Uh, it took a while. Eventually, through ninety three, recorded Burmeyer's their first album, and yeah, a little, little bit of a delay. It was released on August the ninth, nineteen ninety four. They recorded it in uh, Berkeley, California, in uh, some studios called Fantasy Studios. A guy called Colin Richardson uh, produced it. Quite a long album for an 11-tracker at 55 minutes and a bit. In terms of people, I say Rob Flynn was on lead vocals, rhythm guitar. Logan Mader on lead guitar. Adam Juice on bass and backing vocals. And Chris Contos on drums and percussion. Did pretty well in the UK, actually, uh, 25. I couldn't find out uh, where it got to in the, in the US. When you hear people talk about this album, and I mean, I've read quotes that it's regarded as a modern classic and one of the albums that saved metal. I'm sure we'll uh, discuss that over the, the next uh, 11 tracks. You know, helping to save the world from grunge, people said. But this actually grew on me. So I'm fascinated with all the views that we're going to have about it, but I'm quite pleased I picked it. I think the production on it's good. Some bits in it I like, some bits in it I don't like much. I guess my final point and my intro before I hand over to what you two think about it is it was fascinating that in, in the same studio at the same time, Green Day were recording Dookie and Tesla were recording Buster Nut. So uh, they basically hung out with Green Day and exchanged, I presume, illegal substances. And then they broke into Tesla's studio and stole all their sweets. <laughs> anyway, yeah, how, how did you guys find this? I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's let's let's sort the length out straight away. This should be too long by rights because I don't like anything that's over 50 minutes or more, apart from Doomsday for the Deceiver. But this doesn't feel too long for me. And I guess it's probably because it finishes with an absolute stonker at the end. The final track block is an absolute beast. And, and the way you finish an album, don't half help. So, yes, it's long, and it, um, but I, it doesn't hurt me. Um, the other word, of course, you didn't use, Richard, was groundbreaking. And I'm glad you didn't because everyone else fucking uses groundbreaking, don't they? Bloody albums these days. Everything's sodding groundbreaking. Listen, this is brilliant thrash from an era that thrash was was moving on you know and we've heard it on this show with things like fear factory and things like that you know the the, the world the world of thrash metal was evolving and it was evolving quite well and and in machine heads hands it was evolving nicely very nicely it was roadrunner's best-selling debut album for about five years i think um until slip not knocked, mm-hmm. knocked them off that pedestal but this album was a big deal at the time. It earned them a slot supporting Slayer, I'm sure, on the European leg of their tour, and, and which in turn begat a few headlining acts in town. That I remember them being championed before Donington in '95, where we saw them. Kirk Hammett loved them. Bottom line is this is this is this is a really intense piece of work. Ever so brutal, ever so aggressive, but with plenty of finesse in there as well. And I mean, I mean, this is as heavy as it gets. There's, there's the stuff on this album that's fairly ordinary, but there's a, there's a, there's three or four tracks on this that are utter gold, and 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 I'll listen to them often. And um, you know, like you know, we're going to kick off with one of the great kickoff tracks of all time, as as far as I'm concerned, in the, in the thrash genre. And I think it's a great album. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to it again. I was dreading this really in all sorts of ways, and it took me as these things always do it took me a couple of listens to reset my head but i love this album i think it's absolutely brilliant i do think it's better the back end is better than the front end of it i think the back end of it is 
actually really, really, really strong. And I think they're really, in- I think lyrically they're really interesting. I think they're as tight as a drum. And would I listen to this album again? Absolutely, yes, I would. I thought it was really, I thought it was a brilliant album. Okay, very good. Should we kick it off then? I say 11 tracks, uh, five on side one, six on side two, and side one kicks off with, I'm presuming it's Davidian, I don't know quite how to pronounce it, uh, but about the uh, Davidian cult uh, that uh, were in charge of the whole siege of Waco, where, was it 75 people died or something like that? So, here's a calling card, isn't there? Um, This is what we're about. Uh, they're, They're... Fairly well known for their harmonic-driven guitar riffs, um, some absolutely colossal drums. And I think for a start of an album, imagine hearing this when you're hearing this for the first time. It, it, it upsets you a bit before a huge roar and going into the most amazing double bass drum section um, and then slowly building into an incredible uh, riff. I, kept, I was trying to work out, is it, what's this, Pantera meets Anthrax? How would you describe this? The Pantera comparisons are obvious, aren't they? That sort of Dimebag Daryl thing they all go on about. It's um, This is a wonderful, wonderful opening. It's, it's difficult to pinpoint all the excellence in this track because there's just so much of it, you know? This is quite simply one of those giant thrash tracks that I could listen to over and over again. And better than that, it's still even not the best track on this damn thing. I just think it's a phenomenal opener. I'm completely unaware of these Pantera references. I think they're better than Pantera. They really have got their own sound. Let's move on to, to track two and, and old. You just get this fantastic groovy bass line drum start to it. This riff on the, it's so powerful on, on old on the, on the second track. I mean, it's just relentless. Again, this song typifies another thing that surprised me was the, about the arrangement and the songwriting. I think it's very, very clever about how they mix the light and the dark and the slower and the faster. I, I think their songs are really, really well structured. I mean, I particularly like the break in the middle of uh, this second track uh, before it all kicks back in. Yeah, it is a good track. It is a good track. Yeah, it is pretty unforgiving again. I just think it lacks the breadth, perhaps, but very good song. Old gives way to uh, track three, which is A Thousand Lies. Again, starts off with some fairly disturbing guitar sounds, ride cymbal, big power chords. After a while, it then doubles the tempo and just gets into this crunching, absolutely crunching riff. This is... (laughs) Just amazing, amazing track. Well, can I add the cherries? Let me add the cherries on the top. This is a near masterpiece, in thrash terms anyway. I've got a kind of metal church intro, then into a couple of anthraxy kind of time changes. And then we're off galloping again with an absolute beast of a riff. There's more pace changes to come, then a third pace in the guitar side of which you pigeonhole under B for breakneck or F for fuck's sake. And then it just kind of grinds to, to a conclusion. And man, does it grind. I just think this is superb. Absolutely superb. My favourite track of the album. It's all right. <laughs> I, mean, I think. I think. It's, I'm not sure. I wax quite that lyrical about it. <laughs> I certainly agree. It's better than old. The one thing about this album is there's loads of variety in every track as well. So nothing's predictable. You're constantly being surprised by it. I think the arrangements are amazing. Certainly they are on this. There's no doubt. It wouldn't be in my top four on the album, but clearly it is for you, Steve. Okay. So a thousand lies uh, gives way to. Uh, Track four called uh, Numb But My Own. Again, slow tempo, a nice sort of bass riff driven sort of first part. I felt they're quite sort of grungy vocals, you know what I mean, in terms of the mood of, of this song. But again, it's one of those, 
you know, where's this going to go next? And then it gets heavier and heavier and then gets faster. There's another middle section that reminds me of kind of a Pantera style. And then it goes quiet again. I mean, and then it ends up and finishes just absolutely mental. It's a, it's a definite characterization of what they do. You know what it reminds me of a little bit better? What Tool used to do? You know, every track is almost like a piece of theatre. You know, there's so many different elements to it. And this, for example, has got a track with so many layers on it. Unfortunately, and you might disagree, there aren't several layers to Flynn's voice, um, which I think is a shame. And on a track like this, I don't think he does it any justice at all. You're right, Rich. This is a, there's a real grungy feel to the way he sings this song. And I just don't think he does this justice. I think it's a great song. This is probably my least favourite track on the album. This track suffers, I think, particularly because it, it just feels like a bit of a mess in a way that the other tracks haven't done. This is the one track on the album where it just kind of washed over me. See, that's really interesting because we, we're basically, you and I, agreeing on the construction of the song. Yeah. I think it's done really well and you don't. But yeah, hey-ho, shaka na goo. I feel that about the, the, the next song, uh, Race to Overcome. I, I, I feel it's, I don't know, it has less personality. It's a bit samey. The good moments is hat. It has are a bit too short. Like the drums, some of the riffs are okay in it. But yeah, this is the one that doesn't do so much for me on this album. How many times? How many times? I, just, I give up with you two. I really do. It's not fucking Silent Night. This is absolute class. It's a kind of brooding metal beauty. Their influences were very much old school, and you, and you get that in this. I think I'm getting a lot of Exodus and Slayer, certainly in that riff. What you wind up with, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier with the previous song, you, you do get a mishmash of, of interesting stuff going on. This is old school thrash. I really like it. Really, really like it. I like the back end of it, and I don't like the front end of it much. For me, it picks up around the 2 minute 20 mark when it really does kind of settle into that galloping riff. And yes. Yeah, I, I love the back end of this track. It's, but, it's a on. kind of Pleasures of the Flesh riff, isn't it? It's definitely the Exodus riff. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely understand why you love it, Steve. <laughs> okay, so that's side one done. Uh, let's uh, flip the record over, and we're going to get on to side two with track six, which is Death Church. So this was the first song they wrote. I think it was only for this album, possibly as a, as a band. And again, lo- lots of weird sounds and voices, and I really do wish they'd get on with it, because when they do, it's this fantastic bass sound and another riff that leaves me speechless. I haven't said anything yet about Flynn's vocals. Yeah, I, I do wish he was a bit less shouty because particularly on this track, it would have made it better. About religious profiteering, apparently, this one. Okay, so now we're cooking. Now we are cooking. From this point onwards, there isn't a bad, there's nothing wrong with this album at all. This is just brilliant. This is the longest track on the album, six minutes, 33 seconds. Could have gone on for four fucking years and I'd still be listening to it. Just love it. And it gets better and better and better. The song and the album and this side. And I was on the floor and yeah, forget side one and all of Steve's pontificating about stuff. This is where it's at. Death Church, mate. <laughs> Death Church. <laughs> Rich, I hadn't... I, th- those little teasy intros, they hadn't occurred to me before, and now they're starting to really annoy me. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, this is another super heavy ride, isn't it? Mid-tempo, so almost crawling pace at points. It's so 
damn doomy. Yeah, ABBA it ain't. I like it. I do like it, but it's um, it's a quiet taste. Those teasy, strange little song openings—they're great. They're just—they're just. You just go, "What's going to happen next?" It's like <laughs> Christmas. That is the gift wrapping on the present. Lovely bow. Lovely. What? What's going to be inside the box? This is inside the box. Hats off to Chris Contos. Uh, my goodness, he hit those hits those skins hard, doesn't he? And particularly on this one, this shows a lot to his drumming, relatively light, and then these absolute thunderclaps on, yeah. on the tops. Brilliant. Okay, let's move on then to uh, track seven, which is A Nation on Fire. I've, I've written better start on this one because there's no faffing around, a bit more of an atmospheric tune, and I do love the way that this one builds lovely and nice and slowly but ultimately yet again into an absolutely monstrous riff or two in the middle i do feel the ending's a bit chaotic but then i have written the note here but imagine this live yeah and no, i get that again it's, you've, got, you've got quite a cocktail of styles again in this song haven't you because because that, that guitar intro is lovely and it kind of comes back it recurs doesn't it through the song oh no i love that outro that that speed metal outro that's for me <laughs> I think this is um yeah it's it's another it's another great song when we get to the riff it's a beast and there's a kind of really groovy hook line through this that keeps returning it's um it's just knitted together by just such power you know I, oh, yeah beauty it's even better than death church yeah it's just brilliant. I, I love the way it, it builds and and the riff is absolutely crushing it's um it just feels it leaves you feeling absolutely brutalized but in a really really good way oh my god yeah just love this track it's not the best track on the album either no i know <laughs> do, do we think that track eight might be uh, I, I, I certainly think that St- i did write one for steve it's just a road drill of a song isn't it utter road drill <laughs> yeah. it's not for me it's just it's just a thousand miles an hour um, I, I like the little respite in the middle of it. <laughs> I, I do find the guitar solo in it a bit painful. But yeah, what one for you, Steve? Look, you you go on wax lyrical about how brilliant blood is. No, oh, it's the, the simplicity of it doesn't need too much definition. It's um, it's it's the shortest of the actual tracks on here. If you ignore the pointless interlude that's to come, and uh, yeah, no, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's um, yeah, it's good old school speed metal, isn't it? And um, they've got that in their bag, haven't they? Without a shadow of doubt, like it a lot. Pointless interlude. I don't get all worthy on me. Which one are you talking about? What do you think? I'm realize, realize, real lies. Two minutes forty five seconds. Well, it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can have a row about that as well then um i like blood, blood. i think it's um it's nice and short and um i do like speed metal to be nice and short because otherwise otherwise it really irritates the fuck out of me but i really quite like this yeah. um i think it's a i think it's a, a good solid banger and um yeah I, I, and, it, and it sets it up nicely for the next track which which is just yet another cataclysmic brilliantly conceived riff and concept it's just it's speed does work really nicely when the, then the whole thing drops into i'm your god now and i think yeah. it, they've thought about the order of the tracks in this album i think haven't they because yeah. uh, I'm Your God Now and it's um, about substance abuse and you've got this sort of classic almost Jason Neustad kind of bass line starting it off I mean it, it's yeah, slower it's, it's atmospheric you've got this sort of military drumming in the background oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love this and hey some vocal harmonies Jesus he could actually sing why didn't he do this on some of the rest of the album I thought 
one of the tracks of the album for me. Uh, it's got the typical mad ending, <laughs> but the light and the shade on this, the tempo changes, it floors you with some of the riffs. Brilliant. Great song. It is, it is a very impressive piece of work. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to exalt Flynn's singing quite as, as you do. I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm not that sold on it, I have to say, even in this song. Listen, it's, it's a great piece, stripped back. There's a little bit of somberness with its with the requisite amount of heaviness in there when required. You know, it's good. Yeah, everything he said. You just you're just rushing me on to realise, 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 aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, we're on to track ten now, which is realise, 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 as in real eyes. You have two of them to see through. Realise, R E A L I Z E, and then real lies, L I E S. Allegedly about the 92 LA riots, I think. Uh, I mean, generally an instrumental with obviously a lot of uh, news clips. Apart from, as I could, I think, uh, somewhere in the middle, uh, Rob Flynn just shouts the title. And uh, that's about it, I think. Yeah. I really like this. I really, really like this. Yeah, I'm not saying it's the best track on the album, but I don't think it's pointless. I think I think um, I think it's got something to say, and it does say it. I find the Rob Flynn rants in it supremely irritating, but musically and the way it blends with all of the the new sound bites, well, I think it's really well done. I, I really enjoyed listening to it. Steve has taken his earphones out in protest. To my mind, it's just almost an irrelevance. It is about the LA riots, and it means that it's really important to them. I get that, but I'm not them. I'm the listener, and I don't get it. Just don't get it. That's all. We uh, finish Machine Head's Burn My Eyes with track 11, which was originally called Fuck It All, which I think would have been more appropriate given the uh, mood of the song. My goodness, they just threw the kitchen sink at it, didn't they? I mean, it's just uh, four minutes or so of absolute mentalism. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I particularly love the bass and the drums on it. I mean, it's, it's a farewell beat around the head, isn't it, that uh, makes you think, OK, yeah, I think I know what I've just listened to. Flynn was asked about the inspiration behind it, and he said it was just documenting all that crazy shit that was going on. And yeah, I think that sums it up. It's just a lot of crazy shit, this, isn't it? It's just fantastic. I would imagine this is a massive, massive crowd favourite with that brilliantly anthemic fuck it all, fuck it all, fuck it all. Just, just, this is just mosh pit madness, isn't it? I think it's a, I think it's a proper crowd pleaser. And as I was saying, I was making the point earlier, you know, at the end of a long album, I'm, I'm happy with this as, as my farewell. You know, it is big and it's loud. It's pretty nasty and it's, it's a good headbanger. Proper headbanger. Nice way to uh, to sign off. It's like Anthrax on Crystal Meth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's got a fantastic riff. Uh, and yes, the, the bass line, the guitars and, and all of the, I mean, the, I mean, the distortion's been way up through all of it, but it's particularly up on this. And I, I think it's a great way to end the album. I think it's a really, really strong track. And, it's, and actually, it's got a bit of light and shade in it as well. You know, it kind of winds itself back and then winds itself up. Yeah, really good. Great way to end the, end the album, I think. Okay. Okay, well, a bit of a surprise for all of us then. So, some highs and lows, Jens. Well, I'll go first and then Steve can wax lyrical about his. So, my low is None But My Own, which will disappoint Steve 
monumentally, I'm sure. And then by Nat's Whisker from uh, Nation on Fire, uh, I, I'd have to go for the this track block as my. So it's really interesting because Mark and I we see the sides of these albums in completely different ways. It's really interesting. But all my big guns are on side one. I don't like realize, 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 as I've said before. And there's a couple of other weak things on or weakish things on side two. Side one, I just adore. Um, and it will always be a thousand lies for me. And for me, realize, realize, realize is my low, and uh, not surprisingly, the uh, nearest to anything uh, melodic. I'm your god now is my top. <laughs> so. There we go. Album number two of our journey through technology and various kinds of machines. And we now move a year later to 1995. Brace yourselves. Steve's choice. And um, Earth Crisis and their album Destroy the Machines. Can I just say, I don't know how I'm going to hold myself together. Well, that makes two of us. It might yet make three of us. <laughs> Opening album sleeve notes. I'll t- I t- I tell you what, I'm, I'm welling up. I'm, I'm welling up at the eclectic mix of our, um, of our Hall of Fame. Just the thought that Earth Crisis could be rubbing shoulders with Jethro Tull or Hart. I think that's just just playing with that image is fantastic. So yeah, so this is Earth Crisis and this is Destroy the Machines. Wikipedia, that font of useless knowledge and errors, calls them an American hardcore band from Syracuse, New York. They're not straight up hardcore by any stretch. Yeah, I get that their roots are definitely hardcore. They're big Cro-Mags fans, a lot of them, and they'd all played with hardcore bands. But they're a metalcore band. You know, Scott Krause, their guitarist, said they were happy to be a hardcore band, but other people around them said, just expand your repertoire. You know, you, you are better than that. You can do more than just jump up and down and make a lot of noise. There is a bit more ambition to what they do, and there's, and there's more variety than you would get with a straight-ahead hardcore band, I think. I'm actually getting a, you know, a fair bit of Fear Factory in this. I'm getting some prong in here. Anyway, whatever I call it, what I do know is the critical acclaim for this band and this album is pretty unanimous. For example, NME called it one of the top 15 hardcore punk albums of all time. Kerrang! named it as one of the top 21 metalcore albums of all time. And Splitting the Difference, Life Sentence Records called it the most representative album of the 90s, whatever that means. So something for everyone. Listen, it is rooted in punk. There's no two ways about that. But the band members love their metal, absolutely adore their metal. And the riffs, the riffs on this album, they're metal beef. And it's pretty unrelenting through, definitely punk in length, because it weighs in at a shade over half an hour. Um, but what I would say, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff on here. Very raw, but quite nicely written. A different vocalist. <laughs> Would have would have helped, but that wouldn't have been the band, I guess. This could have been a killer more moment for them if they'd have had a different singer. Personally, that's what I think. I think there's enough here to think this is a band that could have done something good. Great quote from Scott Krause, guitarist. Gives an idea of the kind of kids we're talking about here. These kids are off the rails, and you get that in the music. Lovely quote from me. He said, it wasn't until I was much older that I started to realise I didn't really have a typical childhood. I thought all kids were breaking into houses and setting fires. So anyway, so that's what we're dealing with. These these are the boys we're talking about. So Destroy the Machines, released May 25, 1995, was recorded the previous autumn on Victory Records. Um, the producers were guys called Kurt Bachman and Joey Dow, who they knew from another band, and they did it in what's ponsily called Trauma Studios, but I think it was his basement, was Dow's basement, or his basement at his mum's house. Something like that. The personnel, uh, as I say, Carl Buchner on vocals, Scott Krause on lead guitar, Chris Weichman on rhythm guitar, Ian Edwards on bass, and Dennis Merrick on drums. 
UK chart position, US chart position, sales info, go figure, because I haven't got a clue. I would imagine not high, not high, and not good in order of those three. Ten tracks, as I say, half an hour or so, and that's probably all you need. So what do you think? (laughs) Do I have to go first? Um, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Steve, for introducing me to um, a whole new area. I love that. I mean, allegedly they were straight edge. Is that right? I didn't even know that this thing called straight edge, this punk, punk subculture existed, where when you weren't breaking into houses and setting fire to them, you were vegan and saving the world. And uh, you know, I, I read read about you know, people celebrating the fact that they they brought both metal and veganism into hardcore. Badge um, of honour. <laughs> this is without doubt the most most challenging listen I've had yet for a podcast, and it it's still challenging. I, I love it. You're looking so tongue tied. It's priceless. I've never seen you struggling like this. <laughs> so we can try and dissect the individual tracks, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there, there are there are some fantastic riffs. Generally, about fifty seven different riffs in each song. Why have I struggled? I, I, I've, I've struggled because I like some structure in a song, that it's going back to a theme. And in a week of listening to this, I still haven't found one. And, I mean, of course, for me, who, who loves a... <laughs> who loves a melodic vocalist? <laughs> and when a Carl wrote... Carl Buchner wrote the songs. Because I'd imagine him saying... So, okay, guys, you know, what, 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 what keys this song in? Ah, oh, it's in D major. Right, D major. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never, heard, I've never heard an album where the vocalist shouts one, one note. <laughs> the entire album. <laughs> I, know, I, I don't know how to mark it. I really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my, my, hunt, my hunch, Richard, is they were never even asked the question, "What key is this in?" I don't think any of them are on that planet. Mark, what do you make of it? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! So you sent a WhatsApp through going, essentially saying, "Fuck it, I'm, I've chosen this. You'll probably hate it, but you know I'm going to do it anyway." And I was thinking, well, no, I've heard an Earth Crisis song, and I had. It turned up on a Spotify thing. But I thought, no, I, you know, I've, I've heard an Earth Crisis song, and I quite like them. I think, oh, what to, oh I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't see the point of having vocals on an album like this, because you can't hear them. I mean, you said you said they're rubbing shoulders with Jethro Tull and Hart in the... In, in the, in the Hall of Fame, they're rubbing... I'll tell you what, they're dancing on the streets in Corky Park tonight. Yes. <laughs> because that's where they're rubbing shoulders. It's not with Hart and Jethro Tull. Um, so trying to be serious about it, because it is very difficult to take it seriously. There are some great riffs on it. But like Richard, I found it a really challenging listen. All I would say is, thank fuck, they didn't start recording until 1995, because at least this is the only one we're going to have to listen to. Okay, so yeah, so Destroy the Machines is um, is a 10-tracker, five on each side, and Forced March. Well, you, you're, you're interested straight away. You're interested straight away because it's got a nice little um, kind of sinister intro with a little bit of distortion. In fact, quite a lot of distortion. There's plenty of that throughout this. And then the bass and the drums kick in, add some depth, and then you get your first Carl Buchner scream and 
and we're off on a on a on a journey with with our man. Um, and it's quite the journey, quite anthrax in the tempo changes. I was going to say, but it is a very different animal. Let's not even begin to kind of put them on that bloody pedestal. Yeah, and there's points here. They slow it down so much it almost stops at the end of all the feedback, and it seamlessly thunders. Great quote from <laughs> Buckner. Apparently, you might find this hard to believe. He said he wasn't happy with how his vocals sounded on this album. <laughs> <laughs> he got better <laughs> so that's forced march <laughs> where are we with this oh this just floored me <laughs> oh god i think listening to the album was really challenging talking about it is even more challenging because where do you start you're right you start off with this album thinking well it sounds promising actually because you know you, you can you can hear you know i can hear slayer starting an album or a track like that and and Slipknot I can hear Slipknot starting a track like that as well but then it's just a mess it's an absolute fucking shit show and and maybe that's the point and this is I think it's important to say on you this is this album was not recorded for me no. it wasn't meant for my ears so in a way I, I kind of feel quite churlish judging it because I'm judging something that was absolutely definitely not written with me as the audience in mind so on that basis, who the fuck cares what I think about it? Because if you love it, you love it. And and that's brilliant because we've all got our own ears and that's what make, makes the world go round. So for people who like Earth Crisis, if this is a great album, great. I, I can't go on with it. Richard? Force March in the end was one of the tracks I liked more on the album. Now I know how Mark felt when I picked Rage Against the Machine, I suppose. It's fascinating, isn't it? Everything is relative. Yeah, the fact that Motel are our easily listening album of the night. I, I feel a bit like Mark around It's So Hard to, to Judge This. But against the things that I think make a good song, uh, like most of the other stuff on the album, I, I, I just wish it had a bit more structure. I, I find the stop-start stuff on Force March a bit uncomfortable. Um, the lyrics are just a stream of consciousness, and they—it it is just a paragraph of uh, a, a paragraph of rant, random, mm. broken up into lines. Which, for someone like me who likes a good set of melody and a good set of lyrics, the, and the lyrics themselves have got a lot of meaning in them, a real thought in them, real challenge in them. So I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, but his delivery could need some a bit of improvement. Well, yeah, if, if you don't like the stop-start nature of this stuff, then you ain't going to like any of it, because that, that is a hallmark of, of what they do. And we're hearing it again with Born From Pain, which is the second track, but possibly slightly more straight ahead than Forced March. But again, loads of pace changes, sometimes a staccato riff, heavy, 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 very heavy. Um, actually quite a nice overlay guitar line in there, which I wish they'd explored more because I think the end of this song is fantastic. I think there's a really, really good finish to uh, to Born From Pain. There was hints there of something that they could have done better and more of um, at the end of that track. I actually got all right with this. I quite liked it in the end because I think musically it's a little more contained, a little more restrained, a little more considered which kind of ticks a box for me and um yeah it was i, I thought that was actually okay i, I didn't mind that I, I kind of enjoyed it in a an odd way richard i found it challenging i quite like the riff at the end but yeah i, I did find born from pain more challenging prefer the songs on either side of it yeah well when the, the, the one behind it track three is the title track destroy the machines which is you know what the opening half of this song 
well, there's parts of it that are quite Metallica-esque. I'm getting Metallica. And then there's a point where Buckner storms in and he just spoils the party. But, mu- but musically, there's, even even when he does, there's still a really great backbeat going on with this song. I just take him off. Yes, agree. I like the slow tempo. I think the first half is really good. I like the first minute and a half. But the second half when he comes in, no. Uh, like you, Steve, I was getting a bit of Metallica at the beginning of it. It's, it's the vocal that's the issue on all of this album. It's just, it's almost like if I was in this band and I kind of committed to making my livelihood out of it, I think I'd have been saying, lads, I think we need to rethink the vocal here because he is the barrier. If this was an instrumental album, I think I'd have quite enjoyed it. Um, but I can't enjoy it because he comes in and Bigfoot's all over it with his big voice. Anyway, track four, New Ethic. You read the lyrics. Have you read the lyrics to New Ethic? This is the new ethic. Animal lives are on their own and must be given respect. Rejects the anthropocentric falsehood that maintains the oppressive hierarchy of mankind over the animals. It's time to set them free. Their lives reduced to biomachine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly, I'm not making this up. It just goes on and on. It's just, an, as Richard said earlier, it's just an endless ramble. He's got great ideas, but he just says them all without actually thinking about how any of them might sort of scan or anything. And interestingly, I heard, I, I've heard this lovely interview with Buckner reflecting 25 years later on this, and he's very softly spoken. He's unbelievably softly spoken, kind of like a mild-mannered solicitor, the absolute opposite of what you see on stage and what you're listening to now. And he said in this interview that he wished someone had said, hey, Carl, just take a breath. Let's see your notebook and see if we can shorten some of this stuff up a little bit. <laughs> and... Um, and I, I absolutely get that. He's just he's just got these ideas down. And he, you know what? I'm going to say them all, even if they don't kind of rhyme, scam, whatever. Um, and it's just an, and it becomes a noise. And actually, this song is quite a noise. He he does use the word abjure though. This is just this is just a mess. I think I oh, know. I think it's I think it's a little bit better than that, personally. But so which song are we on now? <laughs> <laughs> it's forced march. Yeah. Side one signs off with a track called The Discipline, and this is this is a straight edge call to arms. So if anyone who doesn't know, Richard alluded to straight edge, but it's basically they're anti-drug, anti-alcohol, they're abstinent, aren't they? And, but they're basically um, vegan climate change terrorists, aren't they? They free mink and bomb fur farms and things like that. Press hate them. Um, there's a religious element to it. They're all hardline fundamentalists and they say they're non-political, but they clearly are. And, well, you know, while I, as you said, you know, applaud some of the things they believe in, yeah, it's just a bit wacko, isn't it? And anyway, that, the discipline is their kind of, you know, one of their mantras, if you like. I mean, this is, all, this is I don't know, it's about 1,500 words, I think. Uh, <laughs> He's put a lot of thought into the words. He's just not put a lot of thought into how they work in a song form, has he? That's the, that's, that's the challenge. Um, I just found this a random set of riffs thrown together. Yeah. I really just couldn't connect with this at all in terms of any... I realised I need a song to have some repetition in it, to have something that I can grab hold of and say, oh, it's that again. So perhaps I'm just not complex-minded enough for this. I don't know. Yeah. Mark, you bothered about deliverance? No, I'm not really. I'm not bothered about this. I do do applaud them again because they, I consider myself to have a reasonable vocabulary. But I mean, if this were an addition of Countdown, um, he'd be well ahead on points. Anybody want to hazard a guess at what concupiscence means? He uses it, enslaved by concupiscence. No. Any ideas? No. No, not a clue. I feel 
feel concupiscence every time I see a picture of Jodie Turner or um, Sandra Bullock. It's stirrings. Okay. Stirrings. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently we're all enslaved by it and promiscuity leads to despair. Every song's a message, isn't it? And um, you move on to Deliverance and um, I actually love this. This is a Pantera-esque opening, possibly riff of the album for me, the start of Deliverance. I think it's a great riff. And this is about, yeah, animal animal testing, animal labs, isn't it? Judging by some of the lyrics. Yeah, great riff. Bit like track two, Born From Pain, has an ending to die for as well. So intense. Quite like this. Again, we know what the caveat will be, but musically, yeah. Right. Yes, I like the riff. Really like the riff at the start. My one-liner on this is not bad, apart from the singing. Yeah. Just so that it's um, like the riff. I just wish you'd shut up. I think perhaps I've managed to just separate the two a little bit better than you two, perhaps. I don't know. But I think I'm hearing less annoyance than you are. Maybe. I don't know. Because, well, we'll soon find out in the scoring anyway. Inherit the Wasteland. I think this is a really, really strong opening. And then about about 50 seconds in, they take it up to another level. We go into a really, really good riff. They can do it. They can do it. They can damn well do it. It's a real bouncer. And then um, and then it's just a, a bulldozer into the finish. I think it's a really good song. This is proper... Just again, it's just great metal. Ruined dot dot dot. I mean, he he does ruin it, but he doesn't ruin it quite as badly, I think, as as he's ruined other songs on the album. And we'll ruin at least one more before we're done. But I, I found I got on all right with this. Yeah. yeah look. In the end, n- none of these songs are going to go on a Spotify playlist of mine, are they? So, you know, we're all we're talking about relativity here. But, you know, if somebody said to me, you've got to choose one of the tracks from this album to take to a desert island, and that's what you'll listen to for the rest of your life, apart from killing myself there and then, <laughs> this would be one that I would consider taking. Yeah. It's okay, this one. I think the reason it's more tolerable is whilst he's still just going, ah, on it, there is actually some rhythm to his lyrics. He's actually structuring his lyrics as phrasing above the riff, which he doesn't do, I don't think, on any other track on the album. Yeah, well, he certainly doesn't do it on Asphyxiate. I I haven't got a fucking clue what that means. I don't think it is. I think that's a misprint. Is it Asphyxiate? Every other reference that I've seen to it when I've been kind of looking for stuff about them, it's it, it is asphyxiate. Yeah, okay. That would make sense. I've not seen the lyrics, but... Would you like to know what the lyrics are? <laughs> I think I can guess. You can, Yeah, you would have to guess because you can't actually listen to them. But no. dependence consumes, controlled and distracted by a self-inflicted sickness. With every breath of the poison, the habit intensifies and the attempt to stop weakens. Filth smoulders in the ashtray as you draw the vileness into your lungs, killing yourself, subjecting others to the air that your smoke defiles, cashing in on a cash crop cashing in on your slow death for their financial gain. They create, then feed a carcinogenic addiction that leads to self-destruction. Cancer ravages the throat and lungs. A diseased heart fails. Pain was avoidable, and yet this insanity is accepted as normal. The first genuine moments of remorse may be the last seconds of life, coughing up blood, gasping for breath. Each one was a nail in your coffin. Inhale, asphyxiate. I wish I'd known that when we were looking for Marlborough at Donington in 86. (laughs) It's like a Britney Fox song, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But do you know what? It was it's all right as a song. Yeah, it's chuggy. It's chuggy by their standards. It's, it, it you know plows along. They don't show us too many sides. Do they? I mean, I'm not expecting a ballad anywhere down the line, but this is um, slightly different tempo, a little bit. Yeah, I like the bass line. There's a nice riff about two thirds of the way through. No, no, it's all good. Yeah, Ian Edwards. Ian Edwards can play the bass. So that was no doubt. So to the track of the album, um, which is the Wrath of Sanity. Uh, yeah. So I wanted something slightly different, as I might just to mention a few seconds earlier and I think I get it with this it's that steady 
build in into that another beast of a riff. And this one definitely would not look out of place on Bonded by Blood or something like that. No, you're right, Steve. This this is the track of the album. Yeah, and this this would be the one that I would take away to a desert island if somebody forced me at gunpoint to do it. Ignore the subject matter, which I'm not entirely sure what it's about anyway. Even when I read the lyrics, I'm not entirely sure what it's about. Musically, I think this is really strong. Yeah. This is really strong. Love the riff on this. Again, yeah, the caveat being ruined by dot 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 yeah but richard's 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 touched on it and it's just dawned on me the fact is yeah he's shouting and he's screaming but he's doing it he's measured it this time it's not just a constant i'm reading of a script there's almost a a kind of there's a scheme behind it you know it's it's better his his he he will never sound better but because it's almost organized it works a lot better yes i think that's true (laughs) no rich no I didn't get up this one. I'm just tired now. Yeah. So we let's put you out of your misery. Let's let's move this on to um to Fortress, um, which is the way out. It's nice, isn't it? It's a nice one, nice little start. A little bit of gentle drum and bass and distorted guitar and that doesn't last long, obviously. Oh yeah, I mean it's the longest track on the album. I said four minutes, but um but then I pack a lot in here, and there's a riff in the middle of this track, which is an absolute beauty. Um, and then it belts away into something else. But I don't mind Fortress. It's proper doomy, doom heavy. Well, I'd take or leave this, really. I'd probably leave it. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, Go on, Rich, what have you got to say? Do you, well, do you yeah. like this one? I like the start. There are a couple of, two or three very good riffs amongst the 15 that are in this song. Yeah. Maybe it's just a boredom issue, you know, they just get fed up playing the same riff and just they've got to change it all the time. But anyway, come on, let's have some highs and lows. So so my, my absolute nadir was um, the discipline. And like I said, if I was going to have to take a track away to a desert island with me for the rest of my life, God knows what I have to do to deserve that. But let's say I did, it would be the wrath of sanity. <laughs> Richard, have you given it some thought? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> Help. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, the discipline, I think, is my low. I will give the highest marks to Forced March. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with the Perryu. Um, not bothered about the discipline at all. And my favourite, yeah, like Mark, is the wrath of sanity. <sighs> well, that's... I'm breathless after that. I'm worn out. That's uh, Jesus. That's that's quite the that's quite the trio of albums to chew up. Listen, we've only had to talk about it. We've been listening to it for a bloody week. So that's quite the week. Now we've got to um, put some marks on these things and stick them in the Hall of Fame. And my guess is we'll be looking at the bottom end of that league table for uh, for some of this stuff. But anyway, we shall see. I'm going to go and get a whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Magico. But you know what? In a weird way, I quite enjoyed listening to it in the sense of broadening my horizons a bit. I'm really glad we we stuck to these three and gave it a go. Yeah. 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 Just don't do that again, Steve. Not for a while. Reviews complete. Initialising rating process. Okay, so there we are. Three uh, albums done and dusted. Uh, 120 now uh, in the Hall of Fame. Whether in the top 100 or not, we're going to find out what happened to these three albums in a minute. But first of all, we need to do the score. So we'll start with uh, with Motorhead, which uh, was the album that 
I brought to the party. And so the scores on the doors there, Steve, you gave it a dead seven. Uh, Richard, you gave it a 7.3, well, 7 point, all the threes. Uh, and you liked it a bit more than I did. I gave it 7.2, well, 7.3 if we're rounding up, for an overall album score of 7.2 uh, and a little bit of change. Um, what about uh, Machine Head? Yes, burn my eyes. Steve gave a 7.5, four and a bit. Mark, you were the highest scorer for with uh, 7.96. And I was, at, oh, was the lowest of the three of us uh, with a 7.27. And that gave... Machine Heads burn my eyes and overall of 7.59 and a little bit. Steve, what about Earth Crisis? Yes. Leave the best till last, eh? I gave it a score of 6.95, which I thought was fair enough. I thought that was quite low. But hold your horses. Mark gave it 5.53. And even we still got lower to go. And uh, Rich gave it a 4.85 for a final insulting total of 5.77667, which, anticipating where it will be in the Hall of Fame, I'd suggest that's somewhere near the bottom. Well, let's go and find out, shall we? Let's head over to the Hall of Fame, see where the three of them have landed. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. We are into the Hall of Fame with, as Mark said, 120 albums in there now. Safe to say the top 10 haven't been challenged in uh, episode 40. But, okay, well, Machine Heads burn my eyes. It's just squeezed into the top 50 at 49 with its score of uh, 7.59. I just love the juxtaposition. So sandwiched between Fastway and Grand Prix. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Orgas Matron um, by Motorhead is at number 83, behind Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind and just ahead of Mountain, 7.2. So that's, yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me. It's fine. And, yeah, well, I kind of figured it would be low and I kind of guessed it might be very low and I'm right. Destroy the Machines by Earth Crisis is more than low. It's uh, it's, propping the la- it's propping the table up with a score of 5.77 below good. Gorky Park. I never thought anything would be below Gorky Park. And Raven. Bloody Raven's at dizzy heights now, isn't it? Rock until you drop. Madness. <laughs> Madness, I tell you. You gotta wonder, I and mean, you gotta wonder, have we have we just reviewed the album that will still be at the bottom when all this is done and dusted, <laughs> if it's ever done? To be honest, Destroying the Machines was 0.05 for point behind Gorky Park. So I think they I think they've done pretty well because for me, Gorky Park for all of its flaws is a much better album than Earth Crisis. So I guess, you know, we've probably got some turkeys to to do yet, haven't we? I agree. I couldn't agree more. Also, you look at you look at some of those bottom albums like Vixen by Vixen and, you know, Faster Pussycat and, you know, Uriah Heaps, look at yourself. You know, these are half decent albums. Well, they're better than half decent albums, they're good albums. And you know, we're scoring up in the sixes, so we're not giving them rubbish scores. I think there's a lot worse to come than destroy the machines, I guess. That album's out there. Yeah, so- yeah. I can think of a couple of contenders. So there we go. Uh, it's been it's been a roller coaster ride. I think probably the biggest roller coaster ride, with the possible exception of episode ten of the entire series so far. I think it might be a few episodes before we have anything quite that challenging again, but we'll find out because there's going to be another one along soon. I hope you've enjoyed this one. Um, and we've enjoyed your company. And um, yeah, we'll be back with the next instalment as soon as Tico Torres and his tombola of topics and themes spits out the next episode title. So stay safe, keep well. We'll see you soon. This is the Enter Sad Men Podcast.
All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.